I'm uh, fresh out of ball gowns, but I got a message. I got a message, so I can give you a message, but no ball gowns. I'm all out. Um, it's great to have you here with us, whether you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time. We need to know that right now, in this second, I see you. Okay, I see you, and I, I wish I can get down and talk to you all and tell you how much I love that you're here uh, and connect with you, but I want you to know that your presence is felt and that we're so, great, we're so grateful that you're here. Um, and if you're new to us and you haven't been here before or it's been a long time since you've been here, this is what we're going through right now. So we're actually reading through the Bible uh, as a whole congregation. And again, if you're new here, you, would be, you might be surprised to know that Life Center in Cornwall is just a part of a much bigger church. We have two more churches up in Ottawa and a food bank up in Ottawa. And so we're a part of a big family of churches. And all of those churches, which is roughly 2,000 people, we are reading through the Bible over the next three years, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and then preaching on somewhere from that week's readings. We're going to preach on a message in that. And so we started in Matthew, and we've made our way all the way around to Hebrews, where we are now. And then shortly in our next season, we're going to be going into the Old Testament. We'll start in Genesis, and we'll start working our way through all of that. And so it's a three-year journey that we're on. Uh, and so just so you know how that works, and you're welcome to join us in our daily readings. There's stuff on our uh, website that can help you get into that so you can follow and track. We've got like uh, downloadable like tracking plans that you can, you can follow along with us and track away and, and other information that'll help you just devotionally dig into what we're doing. But we'd love for you to track with that with us if you're, if you're making Life Center your home so you can understand why we're doing what we're doing as far as like where we're at spiritually and, and discussing things. Why are we talking about the things that we talk about? Sometimes we can, you can, I can get up here or Pastor Ingrid can get up here and we talk about something and it feels like I was eavesdropping on your conversations or I, I'm, I'm looking on your Facebook to see what's going on in your life and, and things like that. It really isn't that at all. I don't plan services or sermons or messages like that at all. We plan this, uh, like I said, for the next three years, we've got this planned out. And for the next about year, all the specific topics we're going to talk about, we've already, we've already discussed and prayed through and figured out what it's going to be. So when it aligns with what's going on in your life, you know where that's coming from, right? You know that that's God. That's Holy Spirit that's aligning what we're sharing here and going through as a community with what you're going through individually. That God has a purpose and a plan for your life. That he wants to see you transformed more and more into his image, into his likeness. One of our, our, our big mottos as a church is this, is that it's growing together to make a Jesus-sized difference in our community. And we can't make a Jesus-sized difference unless we have Jesus in us unless we obey and follow the Father like Jesus did. It's then that we can see Jesus through our lives, through our actions, empowered by the Holy Spirit, making that difference in our community. And so we invite you into that process with, like we said earlier, your time, your talent, your treasure. Give it all to God and let him do what he's going to do with it. So like I said, we're in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and it's a book of the Bible that is all about the supremacy 
of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is supreme and above all. Yeah, when we read stories in the Old Testament or we look at the world today, it may not seem as though Jesus has it all together. Sure, we can read the New Testament and it seems like he's walking on water and he's doing this and he's doing that and it's all powerful, but the Old Testament is full of chaos. It's full of ups and downs, even of God's quote-unquote chosen people, how their lives go up and down. They're enslaved and they're winning and then they're losing and then it turns out that they're chosen only to show people that Jesus is the Messiah and that they too have to choose a Messiah for themselves. It's interesting when we read through all that and we go like, how is Jesus supreme in all this? There's so much chaos. And we look at our world today and we go, there's just as much chaos. There's war everywhere. There's there's challenges that we're facing no matter where you live on the planet, no matter your your, uh, ideological belief system, whether you think, uh, whatever you think about it, there's chaos and trouble. And if we look at that and we go how can jesus be ruling over this how can he be supreme over this when all of this is happening well when it feels like this it's often because we're looking through really bad lenses about what authority is and what control is and the book of hebrews looks to correct what the supremacy of christ looks like and it also looks to correct another bad lens that God oversees good and Satan oversees evil. That's not how it works. God oversees all. We have a free will. We choose to follow the good of God or to go our own way. And darkness, it contests God at every turn, but over it all is God. Now, if you were to read Hebrews today, which is not a bad idea, it's not a really long book, it's only 13 chapters, so you can can get through it pretty good. Um, But if we were to read it today, um, this is how the book is structured. I'm going to break it down for you how the book is structured really, really quickly. So Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, what it talks about is this, is that Christ is better than angels in his deity and his humanity. God has created angels, but they have limitations. But in Christ, the Son of God, he is both better than them in his supreme being as as a God and also in the fact that he walks with us in our humanity. That's what the first two chapters of Hebrew are about. He's our great priest, and as our great priest, Christ is able to understand all our needs. And because he is a perfect man, he is able to meet all our needs. And he is as, as that God and man together. Then we move to chapter 3 in Hebrews, and it talks about how Christ is better than Moses. Right? Because Moses was supposedly the greatest man on earth, yet Christ is greater than Moses, who the Hebrews, the Jewish people, would have esteemed as one of the greatest ever. Hebrews 4 then talks about how he's greater than Joshua. Moses had led the people of Israel right to the edge of the promised land, but then Joshua was the leader that helped them conquer any of their enemies around them and establish the nation of Israel. Christ is better than Joshua at establishing what God wants. Hebrews 5, 6, and 7 
Christ is better than Aaron. And you may wonder, go, Aaron? Where does Aaron fit into this? Aaron doesn't seem to play a big role. This whole time, Aaron is the high priest for the people of Israel. From the time when Moses started leading all the way through into Joshua, Aaron was the high priest. He was the intermediary between God and his people. Christ is better than Aaron. Hebrews 9 or 8 goes into Christ being a better covenant. The relationship and the agreement we have between God is better in Christ and his covenant than the covenant of the Old Testament of the law because the law only shows us our brokenness, our sin, and its eventual leading to death. But in Christ, in the covenant in Christ, we have life. He is a better covenant. In Hebrews 9, he is a better tabernacle. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and then the temple were a place where you could go into the Holy of Holies and and embrace the presence of God. But only very few people got into that Holy of Holies. Only the high priests at the time could go in. Yet in Christ, we have God living in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, of God's presence. Christ is a better tabernacle. In Hebrews 10, Christ is a better sacrifice because of what he has done for us. We don't go back again yearly after year to, be, to go and sacrifice before God. Christ is the one sacrifice that we all need to be able to come before God. Then in Hebrews 11, there's heroic examples of faith that there's a better choice in who is to come in Christ. And in Hebrews 12, you have a call to follow those heroes of faith and Jesus himself in the path of outward loss for eternal gain. That what this world has to offer pales in comparison to what God is offering us for eternity. And so we follow those who have gone before us. Hebrews 13 is a call to join him Jesus, leave our structures of religion and bear his reproach in the world around us. Embrace who he is and what he was dealing with as his followers, as we look again to reflect his image in a lost and broken world, to make that Jesus-size difference. That is Hebrews. That's what it looks like if we read through it and you keep that lens, you'll understand the book of Hebrews and how it can apply to us. In its origin, it was written to Hebrew Christians, to Jewish Christians, so that they would not fall back into Old Testament Judaism, that they would see that Christ is the better version of everything that they believed and lived for. Every part of their system of religion was replaced by a better version in Christ. Today, we can have our versions of religion, our versions of how to follow Jesus, our versions of how to live things out. But I tell you, Christ is the better version. Seeing your life completely in him, for him, and through him is the better version. And today, if you're living a version that doesn't have Christ at the center, 
Christ living out of you, Christ being your all in all, then the gospel you're living out, the faith that you're living out is a faith that's being, being attacked by the world and being replaced by things rather than staying in him. So for today's scripture that we're looking at as we narrow it in in Hebrews, we're looking at Hebrews 11. And it's a chapter that's been nicknamed the Hall of Faith. And it's off the term, obviously, of the Hall of Fame. And the people in this chapter that were elected to this, quote-unquote, Hall of Fame, what they're famous for, what they were voted into this hall for, was their faith in God. How they trusted in God. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is how faith is described. It's a guarantee of what we place our hope in. A guarantee of a, of a future thing, not right now, of something that we see in the future. And the certainty beyond a shadow of a doubt in what isn't seen. If we talk about that, that's what faith is. We can also clarify what faith is by saying what it's not. And faith it isn't really a feeling. If you live out your faith by your feelings, then you're not understanding the deeper nature of faith because we don't always feel our faith. We don't always feel like it is working. And so we can't rely on our feelings to, to make our faith. We also can see that faith isn't only found in positivity. When our faith when things are going well, we can be like, wow, my faith is really active and this is really working. But then all of a sudden, negative circumstances happen. And if our faith crumbles, because it's only found in the positive happening in our life, then it's not really faith in God. Because our faith in God should last when things are good and when things are bad. Specifically, it's really, it's really when things are bad that we really truly need our faith. That we can look at our current circumstances and say like, it's okay because there's a future reward. There's a future thing that I know that is mine, that is guaranteed, that I can, I can bear with this. This is nothing. This is but a short time compared to the eternal reward that I am looking for. Faith is the assurance, the conviction. Now, you can't have a conversation about faith, about what faith is, without honestly talking about who or what we place our faith in. The previous 10 chapters up to this point, they were all about who we are to have faith in. Because faith is a definite object. The Christian faith is a faith in Christ. He is who our faith hopes and is convinced of. He is who our faith points to and fully rests on. After a great long list of heroes, we can pull together in Hebrews, the end of chapter 11 and going into chapter 12. And it says, all these, 
meaning all those people in the hall of faith. And I wish we had time to read it, the great stories that, that it talks about, the moments of faith that was activated in their lives. But all those, though commended through their faith, listen to this, they did not receive what was promised. They did not receive what was promised. Their faith was placed in something that none of them would actually receive while they were alive. Their faith was in something that they did not actually get to embrace. Why? Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They saw something better, and what was that thing better? That promised thing? It is Jesus. It's the Messiah. They looked for a promise, a son, a future, peace, wholeness. They looked for those things, and none of it was actually fulfilled in their lifetimes because it would only be fulfilled in Jesus. He is that something better for us. And since we are, we are surrounded by a great cloud of men and women of faith, here comes the crucial part. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Again, we can't have a conversation about what faith is without honestly talking about who or what we place our faith in. Because every person you meet, every person in this room, you, you are a person of faith. And yes, there could be different amounts of faith, measures of faith, or maturity of faith, and, and that's okay. It can create problems for us, but that's never really the issue. The core issue of faith is this, it's not its measure, it's not its maturity, but its source. Who do you have your faith anchored in? Do you have your faith anchored in your money or in the idea of money? Do you have your faith anchored in your family that they're going to be there for you, they're going to see you through, and family is all that matters? Do you have your faith in yourself? Do you have faith in the systems of this world, in other religions? because all of them fall very short of living up to any promise that they give. Because when you have any of it, when you say, when I have this much money, you realize that that much money isn't as much as you thought it would be. It doesn't help you as much as you thought it would. When you have this many friends, you still can feel completely alone. You can have all the family around you that you want and still feel 
abandoned, alone, not healthy. We can have faith that the sun will rise tomorrow. We have faith that when we throw something up in the air, that gravity is going to make it fall back down. So much faith that there's an assurance and a conviction in what we cannot see. And sometimes faith is like, it's like having to do a a bungee jump. Just imagine yourself right now over a high chasm. Anybody here afraid of heights? Oh, this will work for you then well, right? Just imagine yourself. You're over a really high bridge looking over a great big chasm and you're there, right? Faith is that bungee cord. You've got the harness around you and what's attached to that harness? An elastic, right? And you've got an elastic that's supposed to hold you up. Your heart is palpitating, it's beating, it's beating. You obviously have faith in the bridge or the ledge because it's holding you. It's good. It's good. It's, it's solid. It's concrete. It's, it's not going anywhere. But your faith in that cord, it can be wavering, can't it? Ready to throw yourself off something that's really good and holding you there for something that you hope can hold you. Hasn't been tested? Is it safe? I seem to remember a whole bunch of YouTube videos I watched where there's tragedy with these bungee jumps. Can't be good. Now, here's the thing. We may want to look at Jesus that way. Is it really safe to put all my faith in Jesus? Is it really good for me to say, God, you're really in control of all my finances. You, I give it all to you. I give everything to you, God, so that you can do that. You can do what you want. Knowing that you could say, well, you need to give some of that away. Or you need to go serve in this direction. You, or you need to go move your family to another church and serve there. You never know what God is going to do when you say, God, I'm all in. I'm going to trust you in this. And we treat God like that bungee cord going, I don't know if I can trust that. And we waver and we say, you know what, bungee jumping's maybe not for me. I'm not an extreme sports type of guy. I can just, you know, play chess or checkers and I'll be good. But what do we read here? What do we read? We have such a great cloud of witnesses. We have seen the assurance and the conviction of others and that it was not in vain. That they would wait thousands of years for what would be that promise in Jesus to come. And that waiting and that hoping and that putting their faith in the promise that God gave them It was fulfilled in Jesus. Faith in Jesus has the power to hold you through any circumstance. Through any circumstance, you can put your faith in Jesus and trust that you will be okay. In reality, Jesus said that the mere fact that you place your faith in him as opposed to other things not for really exercising that faith or what, how much faith that really is, but by the fact that you exclusively place your faith in him, that's enough, but you'll be hated for it. You'll be hated for this. Why? Because God oversees all, but we have free will and darkness contests God at every turn. 
As we keep reading Hebrews and go into James, we'll see in the next book there that this hatred and dark opposition is called something. And it's called something that we may not like. It's called the testing of our faith. See, we have a faith that is an assurance and a conviction, a faith that is in Christ Jesus alone, and a faith that is tested. It says in James, it says, count it all joy. Oof, stop right there. Stop right there. <laughs> How many here are facing a test? You got a test you're facing? Yeah. Look at all that joy you just got. Look at all that joy. Look at all that joy that Jesus is just offering you right there. You say, I want the joy of the Lord. Ah, careful. <laughs> careful. It may just come through a test. It may come through a test. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Feel like you're lacking something right now? Feel like there's something missing in your life right now? Feel like you're not quite measuring up to what you want to be and should be? Embrace the test that God is bringing you. Be steadfast in your faith in God in the midst of the tests that we face on earth. And you read it right here that your faith may be complete and that you may be made perfect, lacking nothing. Wow. Don't know how to do that? Let's just keep reading. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Oof. Oof. Okay, so there's a little catch here. We can ask for wisdom from the Lord in faith, but if our faith is, is like measured equally by doubt, then God's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I got nothing for you. That's, that's harsh. That's harsh. But what we should do before you go, oh, great, there's no hope for me. Because I, I constantly take a step and go, gulp. Is this the right step? Gulp. Is this the right step? And then go, great, now I've got no wisdom because God's not going to help me because I'm, I'm like have that feeling in the midst of it. Let's, let's, just, let's just slow down here, okay? A faith that is tested if it remains in Christ, it produces steadfastness, which is a patient endurance. I know that steadfastness is a hard word. A patient endurance, the power to sustain, to endure. He gives that to us. But the vital insight about faith is found in unity in both Hebrews and in James. Both speak about a faith that is in Christ. And you're following Jesus, your life of trust, of faith in Christ, 
there is going to be ups and downs of how that works out. There's going to be struggles and discoveries of how this happens. Discoveries where we find in ourselves where we may have been placing faith in something else other than God. When a test comes and all of a sudden we're like, ooh, and we feel it, and we feel it differently than, God, you've got this. It's going to be tough, but you've got this. When we feel it differently, we realize, oh, man, I've been maybe placing a little bit too much faith in that. I had a little bit too much faith in how this was going to work out versus just in God. Allowing the conviction of the Holy Spirit to help you discover that, to see that, and by God's grace and truth, move to put your faith in God alone. He could help. He can help you move your faith to just in Him. The test is designed to show you where your, tr- your faith has truly resided. God knows there's a learning curve to this that we need to grow in our detachment to the things of this world to fully embrace him. He knows that that's a process. That's, that it's like, yes, I'm all in with God. How many of us, when we first got saved, it was, some of us, it was a big moment. It was a big moment. We were like, you know, ugly cry, everything, God, I'm all in with you. And we thought that it was all in until all of a sudden it started triggering on some things that we're like, oh, all in means that? right? It's a process of discovering what it truly looks like to put all of our faith in God. And he's so gracious with us to help us get there. But we have to embrace the tests that get us there. We have to embrace the, tre- the tests that bring that, that endurance. Even when faith in him seems to be the cause of our pain, he reminds us that he suffered too. He suffered more than we can't comprehend. And what are we supposed to do? He says this. He says this in Hebrews 12. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In the tests that come your way, when people seem to oppose you and be in your face and want to see your destruction, know that he has faced that, literally faced that. Where sinful people looked for his destruction and when the enemy of God, Satan himself, thought he could be victorious in taking out Christ, he knows what it's like to have people and things against him. So in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We don't have to. We have not in our circumstances here in Canada had to put our faith to the test to the point of persecution and shedding our blood. So what do we do? We press on. We remember what God has gone through. We remember what Jesus has endured to give us this chance, to give us this hope, to give us this place to put our faith. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and as daughters? He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the disciplines, 
For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. God is treating us as his children when we face tests and trials that help us grow in our endurance, that help us refine our faith so that it relies solely in him. This act of faith, of placing all of our faith in Christ is what produces that steadfastness. And it is this, over the course of our lives, in big and in small ways, which makes us complete, lacking nothing. That we are sons and daughters of God our faith would be complete. Not that we won't have any wants or desires, even disappointments. Those things will happen. But those things no longer have an uprooting or dependency effect on us. Our faith remains in Christ. And this is precisely how James says we must ask God in faith. Let us ask him in faith. No doubting. Doubt is the opposite of steadfastness. Doubt leads to an instability in our faith. Not any doubting, not any doubt, wondering why God did or didn't. Now, that's not the type of doubt we're talking about. Why did God do it specifically this way? Why did God do it that way? We can look in the in the, the, all the history of those saints that are in that, that hall of faith chapter, and we can see that in their lives, they consistently were working that out. How is God doing this? What does this look like for God to do it? Their lives consistently wondered and worked through that. Even them felt that. A doubt is trusting who God is, is in trusting. Where, that's where we doubt. Is God who he says he is? Is he somebody that I can actually rely on? Not in how, but in the who. When we doubt who God is for us, that's where we get into that wavering and where James says we have trouble. When we doubt who he is, not how he's doing it. We'll, I don't know how many times I've looked and uh, back at my life and go like, I did not expect this is how the journey was going to go. I did not expect this was how he was going to lead me to these places that I knew he wanted to lead me to. If it was up to me, I would have picked a totally different route to get there. I can wonder about the, the how, but I can't wonder about the who. I have to place my trust and my faith in Christ and say, God, I don't know how you're going to get it there. And it's going to look scary sometimes, and I'm going to have to look at you and go, Really? Really, this is how it has to be. But I keep my faith in him and don't doubt who he is. That question needs to be settled. So what is faith, really? Faith is the assurance, the conviction that we hold about Jesus. Faith in Christ is our anchored hope, our present trust in our future certainty. Our faith will be tested. And you will discover perhaps not a saving faith, but a trusted faith 
in other things, where you look at other things in your life and go, man, I've been leaning on that too much instead of Jesus. We may find those things. And when tests reveal faith in something or someone other than Jesus, you've discovered a place by the power of the Spirit that you can become more like Jesus, that you can put your faith in Jesus. We know that our salvation is by faith. I think, Tristan, you'll need to unmute the, uh, the piano if it's going to actually make sounds. Sorry about that. Salvation is by faith. Identity is by faith. Forgiving others is by faith. Our tithing and generosity that Kathy was talking about is by faith. Evangelism is by faith. And our serving Him and our pouring out of ourselves is by faith. We live by faith. All by faith in the finished work of a cross. A resurrected Savior. Poured out Holy Spirit indwelling us. Leading us and guiding us and an ongoing trust that one day the same faithful Jesus, he'll make all things new. He'll make all things new where the, tr- the tests fade away, the, the challenges fade away, and all that's left is us in him in his goodness. James says in his first chapter, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This morning, God is calling us. He's asking us to put our faith in Him and in Him alone. To not doubt who He is in your life. That He is supreme over all circumstances you face. And then when you're going through things, and you will, and you maybe are, be steadfast in putting your faith in Him alone. Be steadfast and allow that to grow so that you lack nothing. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never made that commitment to put your faith in Him or maybe you've wandered from that commitment, today can be that day where you say, God, I need to go all in on you. I can't rely on my my things. I can't rely on my money. I can't rely on my job, my profession. I can't rely on my name. I need to rely on you and your name alone. Put your faith completely in him. Let him work out your perfection your wholeness.
we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are worthy to put our faith in. That you have a proven track record of time and time again being faithful to us. Perfectly faithful to us so that we can put our faith in you. God, may you show us those places in our lives where our faith may be in something else. May we repent and turn from those things and fully put our faith in you. And when trials come, when people hate us because of you, God, may our faith stay truly on you and on you alone. We thank you that you promise that we will, we will be able to endure, we will be able to grow and mature in our faith when we do so, and that you will sustain us through it all. We thank you for this. Amen. Amen. Now today, in having a faith conversation and what it looks like to be faithful, I want to, uh, one of the things we want to do is you got this little card on your way in. And if you don't have one, just kind of stick up your hand, maybe wave your hand and one of our, our uh, welcome team or usher team will be able to make sure you get one if you want to fill one in. But in faith, many of you may have been praying for things that you need God to do. In faith, you have been looking for God to provide an answer. You've been wanting God to bring a solution, bring wisdom to to something in your life. And we know that we have a God that answers prayer. That just as he was faithful to answer the prayers of so many in that hall of faith, that chapter of faith, he answers our prayers today as well. And yet some of us also have prayers that are unanswered. Prayers that have have gone unanswered in, in our lives to date. And so what we want to do over this next season and leading up to Easter, where we know God says it is finished. Leading up to that, we would love to know both, one, on this side, what are some recent answered prayers? Okay, I know some of us, we could go way back in time, but a fresh testimony, something that God's done lately that he has answered prayer. If you feel like you can share something like that, put on the answered prayer, share how God has answered your specific prayer requests. Fill in something there that we can use as a, a way to testify. If you need to leave it without your name on there, fine, go for it, do that. Again, you can also email them in if you want to, but on the other side is where it says waiting prayer. We'd love for you to be able to share requests that you have prayed for and are still waiting on God to answer so that we could stand in faith with you, that our our prayer team could pray with you for, that we could also wait until it becomes an answered prayer and celebrate God's goodness. So if you're willing to, we're just going to take a moment right now before Kathy comes back up to close the service. Just write down on that card have somebody write for you if you want what your prayer requests are and your answered prayer are. Okay?
again, if you're, if you're willing to share that information, we're not going to broadcast it anywhere. It's going to stay here in the church. But we want to be able to celebrate with you what God has done. See the testimony of what God has done. Who knows? Maybe God has answered your prayer that you think, well, does really anybody need to know that? But it's the exact testimony that somebody else needs to hear to say, man, I need to go all in in my faith that God can answer my prayer as well. So we testify about the God goodness of God, and we also stand with each other. So take a moment to fill out either both the answered prayer and the waiting prayer. There'll be a basket at the back when you leave that you can drop them in. And over this next season, between now and Easter, our prayer team will go over them. They'll be praying for them, and then we'll, we'll catch up on what's going on at Easter and see what God has done. And anytime you have an answered prayer between now and then, let us know. Fill it out on your Connect card. Say, this is a prayer I was waiting for, or an answer to prayer I was waiting for, and it has happened. Let us know what God has done. And it will be awesome to be able to walk through this. Okay? But we do want to exercise our faith in this way, in this. So take a moment. Just uh, we'll, we'll uh, give you a moment to think about it, pray about it. Again, share it anonymously if you have to, but we will share it with our prayer team. So just understand that this isn't uh, totally private, just between me and you. It's between me and you and our prayer team, and we want to pray with you, okay? So just take a few minutes to, to think through that before Kathy returns.